0: You're listening to Irreverent Bible Talk, a podcast that's not your grandma's Bible study, unless your grandma happens to be really, really cool. Listener discretion is advised if you object to bad words, women preachers, or terrible puns.
1: Welcome to Irreverent Bible Talk. I'm Jenny. I'm a Lutheran pastor and a fan of kick-ass women.
0: And I'm Josh. And I'm an audio guy, and any more silence makes me really nervous.
1: On this episode, she's beauty, she's grace. She'll put a tent peg through your face. We discuss some of the kick-ass women of the Bible.
0: So grab a beer, a mocktail, a cup of coffee, or your beverage of choice, and join us as we explore how the Bible is more complicated and more fascinating than you might expect. Welcome back to a Irreverent Bible Talk. We're going to start this kick-ass women episode with one of my favorite kick-ass women. Jenny, what are you drinking today?
1: I am drinking a hazy IPA. It's from Figueroa Mountain. It's very good. How about you?
0: I am drinking a peanut butter chocolate milk stout. It's from Lost Coast Brewery in Eureka, California.
1: Ooh, that sounds delicious. Yeah.
0: Yeah, stouts sometimes are a little upsetting to my stomach, but it tastes really good, so I'm going to keep going with it.
1: (laughs) We'll hope for the best.
0: So, Jenny, there are a lot more kick-ass women in the Bible than were originally led to believe, but we're just going to cover about four today.
1: Yeah, so I think this is going to be sort of a recurring episode theme for us, because I have a whole list of women whose stories I would love to talk about. And we're just going to start with a few today, but they are all women who just absolutely take no prisoners. They are in it to win it. And we're going to talk about it. And hopefully by the end of this episode, our listeners will have a greater appreciation for some of these maybe lesser known characters.
0: Yeah. And I think this is a really... A cool thing because you know in some a lot of the denominations, a woman as a preacher is just an absolute no. Mm-hmm. so seeing and or I guess in this point, hearing about badass women of the Bible, kick ass women of the Bible, whatever you want to say about them, I think it's a really good introduction to some people to be like, huh maybe women aren't as weak and frail and not able to understand the Word of God as. We are led to believe.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we are going to kick it off today with two women who have a very important role, although a short role, in the story of the Exodus. So we are in Exodus chapter 1, the very beginning of this saga. And we are talking about the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. The fact that they're named is already a little bit notable because often the female characters are not named. Sometimes they are the wife of so-and-so or the mother of so-and-so. But Shifra and Pua are named, and they are Hebrew midwives within the community of the, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, as they are living in Egypt, and they have been enslaved by the Pharaoh. So that's kind of the context of their story
0: and for those of you who might have heard the term midwife before but are still kind of confused about it so from what my understanding a midwife is somebody that specializes in a woman's reproductive health and the childbirth the whole situation of the childbirth and all that kind of leads up to it and goes with it and that they're there advocating for the mother at that time while the childbirth's gone, being at the doctor's office, at home, whatever someone chooses to be, the midwife is there either physically doing it or advocating and be like, no, the mom wants it to be this way. She doesn't want the injection. She's made it clear.
1: Yeah. So m- uh, modern midwives are absolutely still a thing. I know a couple folks who are uh, midwives or doulas, and that's a very, I think, cool line of work to be in. We're talking, obviously, about the ancient world, but the, the basic premise is still the same. Midwives are there during childbirth to help the woman through that process. And so these are women who are caring for other women and who have some degree of, you know, knowledge about how this goes. Obviously, we're talking way before modern medicine, but they would have had some level of know-how just from experience so what happens in exodus chapter one is that we move very quickly where the story left off at the end of genesis is that joseph is like the right-hand man to the pharaoh he's very highly favored he moves his whole family all his brothers to egypt and things are great And then the book of Exodus begins that there is a new Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And so you fast forward a couple of generations. Now the Israelites are not a family. I mean, granted, it was a family with a lot of sons, but now it has grown into a whole group of people. And there is a new Pharaoh. The old kind of relationship has been forgotten and pharaoh enslaves the israelites or the hebrews forces them into labor and even beyond that pharaoh is like this group is getting too big and they're too strong and it's a risk it's a security risk so pharaoh plans to enact a genocide his plan is we're going to kill all the baby boys the girls, you can let live, but if you kill all the boys, that population is going to be much easier to control.
0: Just jumping in really quick, because in that first couple of verses, it talks about, hey, these are all the sons of Jacob. And that is, you know, that whole line is where the children of Israel are branching off from. But it kind of says, in total, the people born to Jacob was 70. I can barely handle a dog and two cats. (laughs) But yeah, it doesn't, you know, we never hear about his daughters. It's always focused on the 12 sons.
1: And I don't, I don't think it's saying like 70 children, but it's sort of like the household. So that would have been Jacob, his wives, his sons, his daughters, maybe grandchildren, so like it's it's sort of the extended family, but yeah, it's a big family for sure.
0: Yeah, that size is like of the family itself was what I took from the verses. Like that's why Pharaoh was getting concerned. Is like, hey, these people are starting to outnumber us. Like we need, you know, in that messed up way. Like hey, we need to we need to control this. Obviously, a terrible way to go about it.
1: Yeah. So Pharaoh comes up with this like absolutely murderous scheme. And he comes to the Hebrew midwives. So these are like women within the Hebrew community, right? Descendants of Jacob. And the Pharaoh says to them, hey, when the Hebrew women give birth and you're there helping, I want you to kill all the boys. Kill them like the moment they come out of the womb. Girls, you can let live, but we're gonna kill all the boys. And I can't even imagine like, the the power imbalance there. This is the Pharaoh of Egypt. And these are women who are part of a, like, a marginalized community. They are enslaved. Pharaoh is literally trying to, like, wipe out half their population. And he tells them, like, you're going to help with this. And they don't, which is awesome. They just don't do it. They're like, nah, we're not we're not gonna kill all these baby boys. Uh, And so they don't, and then Pharaoh comes back to them and says, "Uh, hey, how come there's still baby boys being born? And they have the most amazing response. Again, the power imbalance between these midwives and Pharaoh, and they really talk back to him, but they feed him this line and they say, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them." So they basically tell Pharaoh a lie, which is, these Hebrew women are just so good at giving birth that we can't even get there in time to kill the baby boys. Like they're already born by the time we get there. So it's it's a lie to protect themselves, to protect their community, while simultaneously being like a hard dig on the Egyptians. like. Yeah, we're we're made of tougher stuff than you Egyptians are. Like I don't know how it works for your Egyptian midwives, but like we just can't get there fast enough. Absolutely amazing. And they really only have like their part of the story is like five verses in Exodus.
0: <sighs> yeah, it's really tiny.
1: Yeah, they have a really short part of the story, but it's it's super important. So Pharaoh then has to come up with a different plan uh, for how he's going to commit genocide, uh, which obviously is then going to affect the baby Moses, whose mother puts him in the river so that he is not killed, and the rest of the story kind of unfolds from there. Uh, But we start out the Book of Exodus with these two women who don't have really any institutional power or authority who are put in an incredibly terrifying position and who just refuse to comply. And so I love that story and I love the the kind of spirit of resistance that they show. And obviously, uh, you know, the book of Exodus says like God looked favorably on them because of what they did, right? Like God noticed these women and their courage. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it says in there too, uh, I, something I noticed right away was that it says like when they, Pharaoh told them this, the women were like, no, they feared God more than they feared what was going to happen yeah. to them. So they were like, nope, I'm not going to, God doesn't want this. I'm not going to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. And kind of the whole conflict of the first, you know, 15 chapters of Exodus is this question of like who is more powerful pharaoh or god and of course we know like god's going to win but for these midwives in in the thick of it they're like no we fear god we you know respect god and we are going to follow god and we don't care what pharaoh might do to us which is just amazing they're so cool
0: yeah it- a brief story about them, but you really read that and you're like, why don't they get a little more credit? Because I've read Exodus, I don't know how many times, and I've overlooked that part. And you, you know, you hear the story and it's just Pharaoh, one of these kids are thrown in the the Nile. Like, that's kind of where it starts. You don't get that first, like, okay, just kill him right after birth, until these two women, like, crafted this amazing story and this theory to lead Pharaoh away from that, to give the children a little more chance to survive
1: and you know we have this sort of modern understanding of you know saying i was just following orders is not a defense when we're talking about like genocide and like truly horrible things happening and the hebrew midwives they don't say oh we're just following orders like They don't say we didn't agree with it, but we had to obey. They're like, we just didn't obey. And then also, we insulted the Pharaoh and the Egyptians on top of it, which is like, we should all have that level of of courage.
0: Yeah. This isn't like a president or a prime minister that's just elected every couple of years. The Pharaoh is king in the land. Like, that's what you do. And they just kind of, you know, figuratively spit in his face and said, no, we're not going to do this. I don't care. This isn't right. We're not going to do it.
1: Yeah, they're so awesome. So Shifra and Pua, now everyone should remember their story.
0: Right. I still, when we were pre-showing this, I told Jenny, I was like, okay, you're in charge of pronunciations for this episode because there is no way that I was getting Shifra and Pua from that.
1: But you just did. You totally got it.
0: Well, yeah, after you explicitly told me, like, no, 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 this is how it's said. It's said like this. And I clarified it, like, four times.
1: It's all good.
0: (sighs) Maybe wrote it phonetically.
1: We're going to move from the book of Exodus to another story of a really kick-ass woman. And this time we are going to be in the book of Judges, chapter 4. So Judges is telling the story of of sort of generations that happen after the whole exodus and the people wander in the wilderness and then they finally make it to the promised land and take the land in like the book of Joshua. And then in Judges, we see kind of this time of between when they get to the promised land and when the monarchy is established so we don't yet have king Saul or king David and so we have these leaders that are called judges which are kind of like like chieftains it's not a judge like in the american legal system but they're they're like chieftains they're leaders within these communities and sometimes they also sort of have the role of like a prophet or like someone who is chosen by god to be a leader. So in Judges chapter four, we actually hear about another woman who I think we should come back and talk more about another time, Deborah or Deborah, who is one of these leaders. She's described as a prophetess, and she is she kind of knows what's up. We're not gonna focus on her, but I do wanna come back to uh Deborah at some point. But there is a war going on, there are these warring tribes and the bad guys so to speak are under this general named sisera so sisera has his whole army and he's fighting against this other guy named Barak, and they're going back and forth deborah basically tells Barak, like god is gonna let you win you're favored god is gonna deliver sisera into your hand And so they have this battle, Sisera's army is scattered, and Sisera flees. So the the general or the commander, like, runs away from the battle. And then in Judges 4, starting in verse 17, Sisera runs away from the battle, and he comes to this tent and is met by a woman named Ja'el or Ya'el. Hebrew doesn't have a letter J, so in my English translation, it says Ja'el, but I think in Hebrew, it's actually Yael.
0: You know, I actually knew that it, uh, it doesn't have a J because in Indiana Jones and the last crusade, he's Indiana's trying to spell out Jehovah and he steps on the J, but he almost falls through because there's no J.
1: There is no J. The J comes uh, when you go through German. German translated all those Hebrew names and and put a bunch of J's in there. Uh, Thank you, Indiana Jones, for this biblical knowledge.
0: Right? I also want to point out, like, it's kind of frustrating, and this is still a thing nowadays. It's like, here's Jael, wife of Heber, Heber. I can't, I don't know how to necessarily pronounce it, but that's still, like, something you see, like, every day. And that's a little... Like, why do I need to know this? Uh, Maybe he's mentioned earlier on, or maybe it's just one of those things because patriarchy.
1: I think it's both. I mean, yes, women in the Bible for sure are like defined in reference to the men around them. I will say it's a little bit relevant to the plot here because there's an alliance that Jael's husband Heber, or or Heber, I guess, there's like peace between him and Sisera's people. So, when Sisera comes upon Yael, it's not like, oh, this is the home of an enemy. It's like, this is the home of somebody who maybe will shelter me. So, he's maybe not on high alert when he arrives, even though, as we find out, he should have been. So, Yael comes out, she meets Sisera, and she says, turn aside, my lord, come in, have no fear, I'll hide you. And she kind of covers him up with a rug, and he says, like, I'm thirsty, I just ran away from a battle, like, bring me something to drink. So she gives him some milk to drink, and then he tells her to stand watch and tell people that he's not there. And she waits until Sisera, like, passes out, In my mind, I think of, like, when a tiny baby has just finished drinking milk and then just passes out, like, that kind of milk coma. That's Sisera. He has a milk coma. And so he falls asleep, and Yael does not sell him out to the opposing army. She just takes matters into her own hands. Uh, It says, Yael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground, and he died. Like, thank you for that clarification. He definitely died.
0: Yeah, there was was no coming back from that one.
1: There's no coming back from that one.
0: Which, oof. First of all, that's a little, it's a jarring image, because, you know, when I think hide somebody in a rug. You think of like those mobster movies where they roll a dead body into the rug. Like, oh, this will (laughs) be perfect. We'll kind of position it so it looks like, oh, this is a new rug. We're getting, we're going to put it in.
1: Right. And that we just happen to be throwing in the river.
0: Right. And then, okay, yeah, no, here, here's some milk. And yeah, everything's okay. And then just boom.
1: Fully murders him.
0: Yeah. When I was taking down jotting down my notes, I just straight up wrote, murdered the general of army.
1: Yep. So, yeah, she absolutely just takes matters into her own hands, waits till he's asleep, puts a tent peg all the way through his skull, like from one temple all the way down into the ground. And he dies, as you might expect. And then the opposing leader, Barak, comes and is like, hey, I'm chasing this guy who ran away. And Yael's like, I got it handled. Don't worry about it. And she shows Barak, like, there's Sisera lying dead.
0: Doesn't she say like, hey, come and, come and look at this. I'll show you. Yeah,
1: I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And he's dead.
0: Like, not even like, so I, I was afraid. I took matters. I'm like, nope, here, come on. I'll show you this murder I did.
1: I'll show you this murder I did.
0: Just straight up, like, kick-ass woman of the Bible.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And this particular bit of the book of Judges. Again, it's not a very long passage, but it's followed up in the next chapter, Judges 5, with a song of praise from Deborah or Deborah, where she kind of tells the story of what God has done. And this is something that happens quite often in the Hebrew Bible, where the narrative will be told, and then there will be a song so that actually happens in Exodus when they go through the Red Sea and God like parts the sea and they go through and then the waters come back. And then Miriam, Moses's sister sings a song. These these songs or or poetry are often like very 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 old. Because if you think about the original oral tradition, it's much easier to remember and repeat stuff that's in verse. So a song or a poem. Mm-hmm. And so these songs actually predate the narrative parts of the text. And they represent like very, very old oral tradition.
0: Yeah, it's just, i say it's crazy how people remember, like, uh, not necessarily reading it, is, you know, the most beneficial. I know some people are that kind of way. Like, they can read something and they'll remember it. I am not one of those people. Like, if I hear it, if I can hear it over and over again, or have it, like, to a, a rhythm, like, that's easy to remember. Like, how many songs do we know that yeah. we've never really paid attention to, but we've heard it in the background enough? Like, you'll just start singing and be like, wait a minute. Okay. And then you just kind of keep going, but you'll be, like, humming Party in the USA, mm-hmm. or something like that.
1: Or, like, how many how many nineties kids could probably still sing the animaniac song of like all the countries?
0: Yep. And I can hear hear it all. Like I can hear the voice, I can see it now too, because yeah, I can just start hear Yakko just going on it.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: If if you guys don't know, pull up your favorite video viewing platform in in YouTube that. I'm just gonna come out and say it. It's the easiest way.
1: Yeah, just you know. It's it's fun. So the, some of these, like, songs in the Bible are, like, really old traditions. So the Song of Miriam in Exodus is possibly the oldest part of the Hebrew Bible. And this song in Judges 5 is also a, like, really ancient oral tradition. And there are a couple verses within the song that talk about specifically Yael's part of the story. So Judges 5... Starting in verse 24, this is Deborah singing, and she says, Most blessed of women be Yael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a lordly bowl. She put her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera a blow. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. He sank, he fell, he lay still at her feet. At her feet, he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. And I'm just imagining that as like a sea shanty, right? Like something that people would have learned and just had in their head and like repeated over and over again. And that is the story of of Yael and how she absolutely murdered Sisera because God didn't want him to win
0: right and it is a thing too like you you hear about those kind of horrifying stories like if you I'm sure a lot of people know this but like ring around the Rosie that is like a straight storytelling of like oh you have the plague right you're gonna die like it's
1: you're gonna it's die brutal
0: but like how many of us kids saying that learned it mm-hmm. maybe didn't know the meaning until we were like later on in life with the birth of like internet memes like wait a minute that is dark
1: the most horrifying example of that and this is absolutely a tangent but i learned very recently like it's a little scary how recently that the rhyme that we learned as kids eeny meeny miny moe was not originally a tiger that you were catching by the toe and now i'm like ooh, maybe i don't want to say that anymore
0: right yeah when i have to make choices at least if it's between two if I'm with my wife, I'll go odd or even, and she'll say either odd or even, and I'll look at the time, and if it's odd, I'll go with that. If it's even, I'll go with the other one, depending Ooh,
1: on... Ooh, I like that.
0: Yeah, it's like flipping a coin, but a little bit simpler. I and like you it. can cheat, like, if you're like, hey, I really want this.
1: <laughs> you wait but, to ask until just the yeah, right moment.
0: So you glance, like, okay, it's like 5.59, if I can make this sentence drag out as I'm asking my friend or partner, <laughs> odd or even odd.
1: (laughs) So Yael inspired our episode title today. Uh, She's beauty. She's grace. She'll put a tent peg through your face. But I think it also would describe the final kick ass woman that we're going to talk about today, who is Judith.
0: And I didn't know much about Judith because it's more in the apocrypha.
1: Yeah. So we talked, gosh, like, I think episode four, maybe we talked about different traditions having different bibles and the apocrypha are books that are not included in the Hebrew Bible they're not included in the Protestant Bible but they are considered part of scripture for catholics and for the eastern orthodox traditions and judith is one of those books so if you are a Protestant, and you look in your Bible, and you're like, there's no book of Judith. You might have to have a study Bible that includes the Apocrypha to find the story of Judith, or again, go to the internet, because you can find everything there.
0: That's where I learned. I went to our favorite video streaming watching service where you can watch just clips of stuff, and if you pay a fee, you don't have commercials, but if you don't, you do get commercials. But anyway, that's where I learned the story of Judith.
1: I love it. So, Judith is an amazing story. It's so good. This is one of those ones where, like, I'll just go off on a rant about it, which is what is about to happen. So, buckle up. So, Judith is the main character of the book that bears her name. Uh, Again, it's in the Apocrypha, or it's considered deuterocanonical if you're Catholic. And I did a little bit of reading on the kind of history of the book, I think the main point to take away is that the story in Judith does not fit actual history. So it starts out, like, very, very beginning verse 1. It says that Nebuchadnezzar was ruling over the Assyrians. That's the wrong empire. Nebuchadnezzar was king in Babylon. He was not an Assyrian. So anyway... It's not meant to be literal history, it's probably more allegorical and similar to books like Daniel, where the kings and nations that are named are really maybe standing in for other kings or nations that are more relevant to the original audience.
0: Which was a safety thing.
1: Right, right, because you're not going to say like, hey, you know that king who's currently oppressing us, he sucks. Unless you're Shifra and Pua, I feel like maybe they would say that.
0: Yeah, they were pretty fearless.
1: But in any case, we have this story of a general named Holofernes. He is just on a rampage. He's conquering territory right and left. And he is coming for Judea. He's coming for the Jewish people. And the Jewish people are terrified They are praying to God, they're fasting, they're like, God, please protect us. And they eventually, this one city called Bethulia, which again, like, maybe did not exist, like, historians are like, we're not sure there is a city called Bethulia, but at least in this story, there is. So this town or the city of Bethulia, Holofernes lays siege to it. And some of the other people he's conquered, who are kind of, like, from neighboring tribes, they say, oh, like, you don't really have to try to assault the city, because they're up in the hills, and they have, like, the terrain advantage. They say, listen, just cut off their water source and wait them out. And so that's what Holofernes does. He cuts off the water source, and they're just waiting the city out. And after a month... The city is out of water. People are dying of thirst. And so they go to the leaders of the city and they say, you have to surrender. Like, just surrender. It would be better to be captured than to die of thirst. And the leader of the city, who's a guy named Uzziah, says, let's hold out for five more days. And maybe God will save us in five days, but if God doesn't save us in that time frame, then we'll surrender. And at this point, which is like halfway through the book, Judith, the main character, appears on the stage and just absolutely tears into these leaders of the city. She says, you're putting God to the test. Like, how dare you put a timeline on what God is going to do? If God wants to save us, God is going to save us. And if God doesn't want to save us right now, then that's not going to happen. But like, don't don't put God to the test. We also learn right away that Judith is a widow. Her husband died. She's been a widow for a couple of years, but she is still gorgeous. The story makes a point like several times to tell us how incredibly beautiful Judith is.
0: And her maids supposedly just not as beautiful, but like right up there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So she is gorgeous. And also like her servant that goes everywhere with her is like nothing to sneeze at she's also very pretty
0: very key to the story this is going to be relevant right
1: it's going to come back around so after judith like tears into the city leaders uzziah says okay you're right we shouldn't put god to the test but also everyone is dying of thirst and they kind of made us make this promise that we're going to surrender so uzziah says to judith listen everybody knows how faithful you are and how righteous you are So, like, pray for rain, because if it rains, then we won't die of thirst. And Judith says, basically, nah, I'm not going to pray for rain. I have a different plan. I can't tell you what my plan is, but I'm going to execute my plan, and God is going to save this city by my hand before your five-day timeline is up, which is, like, the confidence off the charts uzziah's like everybody's dying we're gonna have to surrender in five days and judith is like nah god's gonna save you all through me before five days is up so she just like complete trust no hesitation so judith goes and and the other thing the story is really clear about is that she is very faithful she is incredibly faithful to god and so she prays to god and she says give to me a widow." the strong hand to do what I plan by the deceit of my lips strike down the slave with the prince and the prince with his servant crush their arrogance by the hand of a woman amazing right I love it this also feels a lot like Yael's kind of energy where it's like who would suspect a woman would be the one to lay low a general And so, because women are sort of underestimated, they're able to do these things that are just completely, completely badass. So, Judith says, like, okay, God, use me, you know, little old pretty me who no one would suspect, use me to destroy this, like, incredibly powerful military force. After she prays, then Judith takes off her, like, widow's garments that she's been wearing she gets cleaned up
0: like Anne Hathaway princess diaries cleaned up thank
1: you I love that I feel like we could come up with some other good references there like oh yeah it's a whole makeover like, scene takes
0: the glasses off and everything and just
1: right she takes the glasses off and puts her hair up and like suddenly she's hot mm-hmm. yeah so Judith like she bathes she puts on perfume she puts her hair up tiara jewelry beautiful clothes in my notes as i was summarizing this i was like judith is ready whether she's going to the prom or the club or the oscars she's ready she is like done up to the nines absolutely gorgeous and she packs a bunch of food and wine in a bag and gives that to her maid and is like now i'm going out of the city and everybody in the city is like damn judith is hot and they're like, okay, like good luck. And they open the gates and they let her out of the city. And Judith and her maid go down into the camp of the Assyrians, the enemy. She tells the Assyrian soldiers that she is going to give their general Holofernes a way to capture not only this city, but the whole hill country and not lose a single soldier. She's like, I will tell him how to destroy everybody. The Assyrians are like, you're really hot. We're going to take you to our general.
0: It's good to know things haven't changed.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like
0: in the thousands of years, like mm-hmm. even back then, they're like, nah, men are stupid when it comes to beauty. Right, like the,
1: the the sort of femme fatale, like I'm going to use my, my feminine wiles to defeat you. Mm-hmm. Judith is like maybe the OG version of that. So, Judith goes to Holofernes, and she, like, spins this whole story. She's like, I'm your humble servant, I'm going to betray all of my people, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. I know that because of the siege, the Israelites are about to offend God, because they're going to eat the parts of the animal that they're not supposed to eat. They're going to eat the first fruits that are supposed to be an offering to God. So basically, like, because they're desperate, they're going to do this bad thing, and then God is not going to favor them, and you'll be able to conquer them. The Assyrians and Holofernes the general are like, Wow, Judith, you are so wise and also so hot. We are totally going to believe you. Judith stays in the Assyrian camp for three days. Again, she can't enact her plan immediately. She was like, God is going to destroy this enemy before five days is up, but I'm going to wait three days before I do anything.
0: Right. Got to set the trap, make it even more like just...
1: Even more delicious. Yeah. So on the fourth day, HelloFernese is like, I'm going to have a real fancy banquet and I want Judith to be there. And Judith is like, oh my gosh, like, how could I refuse? I'm your humble servant. You're so big and strong. And so she goes to dinner. And she's still eating and drinking the food that she brought because she says, like, I have to follow my sort of dietary laws. I'm going to eat what I am allowed to eat, but I will still come to your dinner party. Judith gets all done up again, totally gorgeous, fully decked out. She goes into dinner. Holofernes is like, I am absolutely going to sleep with this woman. He also says, like, if we don't seduce her, she's going to laugh at us, which is big incel energy like this woman is so gorgeous she must want us to sleep with her and if we don't then she's gonna think less of us it's a it's a big oof but i feel better because i know where the story is going absolutely so at their fancy dinner when hello Furnies is like i'm gonna sleep with judith he drinks way too much the text actually says he drank much more than he had ever drunk in any one day since he was born
0: Liquid courage.
1: Uh, like, okay, apparently he started drinking from, like, day one, but he has never drunk this much in a single day. So Holofernes passes out, fully dead to the world. But all of the other servants leave the tent because they're like, we know that our boss wants to sleep with this lady, so, like, let's give them some privacy. Meanwhile, Judith's maid is waiting outside, as Judith had instructed her. Judith takes down Holofernes' sword from the bed. And she just chops his head off. It says in the, in the text that she hits his neck twice. So this is not like a clean blow. Like she has to go at it more than once to sever the head. Again, like Yael and her tent peg. This is like women getting their hands dirty. She takes the head of Holofernes, gives it to her maid, who puts it in the bag that used to have all their food that they've been eating, and now has the head of the enemy general. And then the two of them walk out of the camp, and they go back up to the city, and she tells the the people of her city, Bethulia, the Lord has struck down Holofernes by the hand of a woman. As the Lord lives, who has protected me in the way I went, I swear that it was my face that seduced him to his destruction, and that he committed no sin with me. So she's like, not only did I kill the general but I didn't even sleep with him. Like, I just fully tricked him.
0: Yeah, and the stuff that I was researching about this, like, it talked about her walking out of camp, but just kind of like, you know, just talking to the other soldiers and the servants, like, oh, hi, how's your night going? Like, just that. Right. You know, like, nothing. Everything's normal. I'm just happy to be here, and just away they went.
1: Yeah, they had kind of set up this rhythm that, like, they would go out of the camp to pray every night, and so on this final night... Nobody questions it when they just walk out of the camp. It's amazing. So the story concludes. She tells her people to hang the head of Holofernes on the wall of the city and then to gear up at first light like they're going to go attack, like they're going to go out to battle. And when the Assyrians see the enemy troops getting ready for battle, they're going to run to their general and be like, Holofernes, there's a fight coming. And then they find his headless corpse. And then they panic and scatter. The people of Bethulia, Judith's people, ransack the camp of the Assyrians. The Assyrians are absolutely just routed. They take all the gold and silver and fine things from the Assyrian camp. Judith sings another song of praise, similar to what happens after Ya'el, and then she dedicates all of Holofernes' nice stuff, like all his silver and like fine linens and everything dedicates all of that to God at the temple in Jerusalem, and is like, all this stuff is God's now. And the story ends by telling us that Judith never remarried. She freed her maid, who was her servant, and gave away her property before she died, and basically was just absolute boss bitch to the end. Like, everybody respected Judith forever, the end.
0: I don't need no man telling me what to do.
1: She don't. She don't. She is just faithful to God and absolutely willing to cut off a guy's head.
0: And I know we kind of talked about like hey this doesn't necessarily match up historical, but I think you know, like we kind of talked about earlier like this is a great message like yes, things are bad. Yes, things are falling apart, but God's going to provide. Yeah. And so I think that's one it's great to give you that courage, but it's also you know, looking back now, it's like badass that they used a female for that story.
1: Yeah, and I I think it is important that like all of these narratives show women who, you know, society might not have taken much notice to, but because of their faith in God and through God, they are able to do really remarkable things. And so given that so much of like the ancient world was really patriarchal, I think it's pretty telling that these stories of women still were preserved. That even in a society that had a bias against women, they were like, okay, but like we cannot forget Shifra and Pua. We cannot forget Yael. We cannot forget Judith. Like These women were so important.
0: So, Jenny, I have a historical question. I don't know if maybe you know this or not, but...
1: We'll find out.
0: So, is a widowed woman back in that time when she just kind of looked at like what's her purpose she's doesn't she's not remarrying like i don't want to sound too crass but i mean is that kind of the thought process back then like well she doesn't have a husband what's she gonna do no kids by the way it sounded yeah Was she kind of looked as less then, and it kind of shows that god can take somebody that's not necessarily revered as much as everyone else but make them be like no look this is how it is
1: yeah, in in the ancient world, oftentimes women who were widowed just didn't have any recourse because if your husband died and you didn't have any sons and you couldn't go back to your father's house, you were sort of just like out of luck because women were not the ones who inherited property or, you know, could control their own wealth most of the time. So that's part of the reason that the Bible often says that God wants the widows and the orphans to be protected and cared for because the structures of society did leave them often destitute. So it was like, okay, just because a woman has lost the sort of male protector in her life, she is still sort of under God's protection. And Judith seems to be a little bit of an unusual case that Judith she still has standing in the community, even though she's a widow. And apparently she still has wealth because she has all these fine things. She may be a little bit of an outlier in that respect. Um, But yeah, widows were often sort of left unsupported if they didn't have a father or a husband or a son that was going to take care of them.
0: So yeah, just a good example of God taking someone that Doesn't necessarily people are gonna agree with or people are gonna think highly of and be like, nope, these are this is the most devout person. Like this is what having faith in God can do.
1: Yeah. The last thing that I wanted to say about Judith, the story of Judith has been a pretty popular subject for artists, both like in the medieval era, the Renaissance, and also in the modern day, because it's a great story has, like, a ton of drama. But there's a particular painting of the story of Judith that I just love and I just have to mention. It is Judith Slaying Holofernes by the painter Artemisia Gentilici, who I believe was from Florence. So she was a woman artist, which is already pretty cool. And there were other artists who were contemporaries or slightly before her, particularly an artist named Caravaggio, who had done a painting of Judith slaying Holofernes, where it looks very, like, elegant, and Judith is, like, holding the sword, but she looks, like, super prim and proper. And then Artemisia painted the same subject of Judith beheading Holofernes, but it's brutal, and, like, the maid is, like, holding Holofernes down, and Judith is, like, sawing away at his neck, and there's, like, blood spatter. And it's just a rad painting. Um, but it's also really interesting, like, her art, her perspective, I think, is really interesting because she doesn't, she doesn't make this woman look feminine. She doesn't make this woman look weak. Or like prim and proper, she's like, no, this was a bloody thing. And like, let's sort of celebrate that. Let's sort of revel in that. Artemisia Gentilici is just a very interesting character, and her version of Judith slaying Halophonies is really cool. So if you've never seen it, look it up. It's it's rad. It's super cool.
0: It's really cool. Really brutal. So if you're not in the mood for blood splatter maybe wait on that one or if you're a young have a younger listener on here maybe talk to your parents before looking it up because i don't condone searching things without parents approval but it's it's a cool painting and i wish i knew your love of it before your birthday because i definitely would have found something obnoxious to get that with for you but maybe christmas Ooh,
1: it's rad Another time, we'll also talk about her painting of the story of Susanna, because I have so many feelings about that one. But that's not for today's episode.
0: So we're gonna do these kick-ass women periodically. It's not gonna be just uh, next next episode. It's just gonna be as we kind of want to throw it out there because we think they're fun and there's so many topics, but every now and then we just need a... Good refresher, and I think these are this is a great topic for it.
1: Yeah, I do have a list of other women in the Bible that I want to talk about, but if there's a woman in the Bible that you want to hear us talk about, please let us know. And if it's not already on my list, I'll add it to the list.
0: Or if you know any other details that maybe we didn't talk about that are pretty important, we'll be happy to discuss some of these again. Because I'm sorry, telling the Pharaoh that your n- nation's women are just not as tough as the hebrew women that's pretty ballsy pun intended
1: well on that note keep on keeping on out there resist the destructive powers that try to destroy life don't give in to pharaoh and uh you know just keep kicking ass
0: so if you have any questions our contact information is in the episode description thank you for tuning in to a Reverent bible talk i'm josh
1: and i'm jenny
0: and have a good evening day, morning, whatever you're doing.
1: We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Irreverent Bible Talk. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find us at soundcloud.com slash irreverent Bible. And remember, just like Balaam and his donkey learned, sometimes even God communicates through a talking ass.